Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 16th of October 2017 and this is episode number 36. On this week's show, I'm talking to John Rigby-Jones about the experiences of his grandfather, Eric Rigby-Jones, who was a young officer and company commander on the Western Front with the Liverpool Pals. John has just published an account of his grandfather's service based on his First World War letters and diary. This book is titled Best Love to All and has just been published by Helian & Co. John, welcome to the show. Please can you start by telling us about your background and how you came to publish an account of your grandfather in the Great War? Well, I, I studied classics, specialising in Latin and Greek literature and ancient history at Oxford, and then after university I qualified as a chartered accountant. Spent the next 34 years of my professional life in the private hospital industry before retiring in 2015, when I was 60. But when my father died in 2006, I rediscovered my grandfather's letters and diaries, which well, I'd seen them first as a student, but I subsequently thought they'd been lost or, or thrown away by my father in one of his regular clearouts. And I'd had to give up history at school when I was 13, so I knew absolutely nothing about the First World War. So I tried to find out a bit more and to understand what my grandfather did and, and place his experiences in, in a wider context. And the more I, I read and, and, and I visited the battlefields a few times, um, the more I realised that my grandpa, Eric, was, was just one of many unsung heroes. And, and he had a story to tell that, that he hadn't that hadn't been heard before and was actually in danger of being lost if I didn't tell it. So that's the first idea I got of, of writing a book about it. Uh, and, and although he... Uh, He's mentioned a few times in his battalion diary. As far as I'm aware, he's never mentioned in, um, in any history of his regiment or his unit, except perhaps once when he was awarded the, the military cross for, his, for the first time. Um, and then he's, he's given the wrong name, Wrigley Jones, and allocated to the wrong battalion. So that's the closest to get to any mention of him in, in any history. Before we start, could you give us a bit of background on your grandfather before he joined up? Well, where did where did he grow up, and what school did he go to? Well, my family originally came from North Wales, where they were flax dressers, and and moved to, to Liverpool in the early 1800s, where they became twine merchants, and as well as being in flax dressers. And I suppose my family's prosperity originally came from my great great grandfather, who was my grandpa Eric's grandfather, who um, with his brother bought a rope factory in nearby Ormskirk. Um, in 1870 when they were both in their early 20s and I think the family's prosperity grew at the same rate as, as Liverpool's because Liverpool was a, a boom city in the, in the, 19, in the 1800s and, and shortly after my great-great-grandfather John bought the rope factory he, he married into another family of Welsh Methodists uh, who were well connected in their area and, and, and between them they had sort of considerable commercial um, academic, literary and, and political successes. And I suppose one of the, the signs of this was that my grandfather Eric was the, was the first member of my family ever to be sent away to, to a private school. He went to Rossall, which is on the far coast, just north of Blackpool, on the day after his 13th birthday. I mean, unlike his father and his grandfather and great-grandfather, who'd, who'd all left school in their early teens to to become apprentices before joining the family business. When did he leave school? He left school at the end of July 1914, when he was still 16, just a week before the start of the war, to start as an apprentice himself in another firm and, and then eventually to join. He, he expected the, the family business and, and at that time they, they expected the war would be, be over by Christmas. 
So when you're obviously war broke out, your father, your sorry, your grandfather, what what was his his military career from then? He left it for a year, but in in um in the summer of 1915, I think he decided that he had to put his apprenticeship and career on hold and and, and join up, and he received his commission in in the Liverpool Rifles which was a, a territorial unit that was the 6th Battalion of the King's Liverpool Regiment in, in August 1915, which was just a few weeks before his 18th birthday. So I'm, I find it amazing that he was a, an officer when he was still 17, but he actually couldn't get posted overseas under the terms of, I'm not sure if it was the Territorial Army or, or the Army generally, until he was 19. So he spent the, the year after that um, in England. He was then sent to France, in, I think it was early 17, wasn't it, if I, if I yes. remember from your book? Yes, yes, he... He finally went over to France in, in January 1917, and as his name was at the bottom of the list of the people going over in that um, group, um, and only added at the last minute, he found himself transferred to the 20th Battalion of the King's Liverpool Regiment, which was the last of the four battalions of the Liverpool Pals that were raised in 1914, the Liverpool Pals themselves being the first of the Pals battalions to be raised. And then over the next 18 months, he was involved in all the major battles on the Western Front. He first went to the battle at the Battle of Arras in, in April 1917. Then he was at Ypres for the Third Battle of Ypres or Passchendaele in the summer and autumn of 1917. But he was lucky to avoid all the ma- major battles there, although he did earn himself mention in dispatches for that, that uh, battle. And then he took part in the, the German Spring Offensive in March or, and April 1918. So I'm, I remember reading your book that he actually got attacked twice during the German Spring Offensive, One at, once at St. Quentin, if I'm correct, and then the other time on the Somme. Yes, well, he, um, he was in the 17th Battalion by this stage because the 20th Battalion had been disbanded and he was the only officer in his battalion, as far as I'm aware, to fight throughout the six weeks of the offensive and, and was awarded the Military Cross and, and then the bar for his bravery, not only on the first day at Saint-Quentin, but then again at the, on the last day at Vormitzila, just south of for six weeks later and on that last occasion he was badly gassed and and buried alive twice um, in the final German assault on Ypres and hospitalised and sent home and by the time he recovered the, the powers had, as, as they put it, been reduced to, to Carter and had basically been disbanded due to the level of their losses. So he spent the rest of the, rest of the war in England? Yes, he spent the rest of the war in England and then he returned to France um, and Belgium after the armistice. Um, originally I think it was to, to take part in the, the advance towards the German border when the Germans had to retreat to their borders but actually he, he ended up not having to do that and he just stayed with the with the rifles first in France and then in, in Brussels and was one of the first to be demobilised at the uh, end of January 1919 because he basically could show that he had a job to go through to in the, in the family business. But um, I think uh, it was quite interesting for him, I think, to actually be, be in Brussels in the immediate aftermath of, of the Great War. By that stage, he'd, he'd, um, he'd received his military cross and bar from the King at Buckingham Palace previous September, six days after his 21st birthday. And then later, he commanded the Guard of Honour when the Prince of Wales, who was later King of the Eighth, the Duke of Windsor visited Liverpool in 1921 to, to open the, the Hall of Remembrance in the town hall there. And what do you think your account tells us about the experience of a junior and sort of company commander on the Western Front? I think when I'm going through it, I, I find it impossible that, to, and I think I, I, I think anyone would find it impossible to describe the full horror of, of life on the 
on the Western Front, even the greatest um, painter or, or author, and because I think it just must have been an overwhelming and continuous assault on all the senses. And, and I don't think anyone who wasn't there could actually imagine it. And perhaps that's why they didn't really talk about it afterwards. And my grandfather was, was only 19 and 20 when he was, he was on the Western Front. And he wasn't a great person with words, although I think some of his letters home are, are very poignant. He told his parents after his um, first experience of battle at Arras, he, he wrote home, he said, uh, I cannot tell you of the things that happened in those few days, nor would I if I could. I try not to think about it, but it keeps coming back, and I thank God for a safe return. And then a year later, after the first stage of the German spring offensive, he, he wrote again, I have, I think, experienced more in the past 10 days than in the whole of my life so far. My brain is working better now, but at one time I had a job to keep myself going clean off my head. I've been in all sorts of places from which I never expected to come out alive. I have a tremendous lot to be thankful for. And, and I think the statistics show that junior officers had a casualty rate that was the highest of any group on the Western Front. They, I, I think a lot of it was luck. That's the other thing I've, I think, come to realise, that there were, there were shirkers who, who always seemed to manage to, to avoid taking part in patrols or raids or to take part in the battles they found themselves on courses or whatever. But but for the others, I think it was just a matter of luck as to whether they survived or not. And, and, and many of my grandfather's closest friends and colleagues were killed or badly injured. And he was himself lucky to get out alive on several occasions, especially at the beginning of the, the German Spring Offensive. So I think I, I've tried to understand what my grandfather's ex experiences are, but I'm not sure if I can fully comprehend them. And one of the things I was taught at university when I was reading ancient history was that, that history is written by the winners. But I, I think in the in the case of the, the unsung junior officers in the First World War, it's written by the survivors. And so I'm hoping that, that my book will not only shed some light on my, my grandfather's story and his courage, but also on all those who were around him who were, who were perhaps less fortunate and, and not able to tell their own story. So what impact did the war have uh, on your grandfather in, in the 1920s and 30s? I don't totally know. I mean, because I never had the chance to meet him. He, um, he died three years before I was born and, and before indeed any of his six grandchildren were born. And he was only 54. My father said that he, he never got over his experiences in the war, either, either physically or mentally, uh, and, and said at least it was, meant he was always easy to find in the foyer of the cinema when they were, when they were growing up because he had a hacking cough, either because he'd been gassed or because he'd become a lifelong heavy smoker during the war. He never spoke of his experiences after, after the war to his family, and, and he refused ever to return to France or Belgium. But at the same time, he stayed with the Territorial Army with the Liverpool Rifles after the war uh, and did not actually resign his commission until the 11th of November 1935, exactly 17 years after the armistice, by which time he was 38 and, and already firmly established in Ireland. And he also, again, he was by that stage in Ireland, which was neutral in the Second World War. He offered his services again to the to the war office in, in 1940 when he was, was 42. So it wasn't as though he, he, he left the army immediately after the war and would refused ever to have anything else to do with it. But I don't, I don't think he was ever the same man again. And finally, where can people get your book from? Published by Helium, who I have to say I think I've done a, myself and my grandfather proud with, with what they've produced. And it's available either from them or, or online from Amazon, as well as being stocked, I think, by a number of bookshops, either in the bigger cities or in the Liverpool area. John, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman, 
and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.